Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Ready yourself, listener, for tonight you shall be visited by three Christmas films of a similar genre. Welcome to Be Real, guys. My name is Chance Solipiper, and, <laughs> and covering his face on FaceTime because he's not sure if he liked what I just did, might have been kind of bad good, is Noah Ballard. Howdy, partner. How you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm fine. Are you, uh, are you willing and able for our holiday episode here? Absolutely. I have now seen three iterations of Charles Dickens' uh, Christmas Carol. Um, So, yeah, I I, I would say that I'm as in the holiday spirit as my body will allow me to be. Sure. For an episode, I think we're calling uh, A Christmas Carol the remix. The Hollywood remixes? We'll name it. Um, Yeah. But we watched The Muppet Christmas Carol of 1992. We watched Scrooge of 1988. We watched The Family Man of the year 2000. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Where do you want to start, big guy? I think we should start with the puppets, since uh, even though there are Muppets, it does have sort of the greatest fidelity to the original novella. What do right. you say? Well, it's interesting. Yeah, let's start with the Muppets. Okay. And I think the Muppets is an interesting place to start, because other than the fact that it's Muppets, it's otherwise a faithful retelling of the Dickensian classic. Ah, humbug. He was the greediest man alive. It's Ebenezer Scrooge. Until the night he met someone extraordinary. Hello. And so this one, we have Michael Caine playing Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, and then you have Kermit the Frog as... Um, Bob Cratchit. As Bob Cratchit and Miss Piggy and like the tiny pig kid. Frog kid. <laughs> it was a frog kid, if you frog recall. Kid. There were two <laughs> there pig were daughters. There were tiny pig kids, you're correct. Yeah, it's it's hard to keep them track. Um, but basically what you have is the classic five-act structure of the Dickens novel, which is, here's this horrible, stingy miser guy who's a real piece of shit, and mm-hmm. through seeing his past, his present, and his future from a different angle shown by these ghosts... Uh, that are maybe materialized by his former business partner, Jacob Marley. Right. Um, he then in the fifth act, like becomes a brand new person and turns everything around for all the people suffering around him because of his miserliness. Indeed. That Indeed. that's basically Christmas Carol in a nutshell, right? You summed it up. If, if anyone doesn't know this, uh, this story, that's as this good pretty as ubiquitous like a tale. <laughs> it's as good as a fable, I think. Uh, yeah. For, for where we are now. Right. Um, and the Muppet Christmas Carol, we should say also, is sort of uh, narrated by Gonzo saying that he is Charles Dickens. And then right. uh, what's the rat? I can't remember the rat's name. Um, but like they're together, like telling the story and the rat's always interrupting him. Uh, and they have these sort of like funny little asides where they like run in and run out and constantly get pushed over by a window and say that they're leaving for the scary parts. It's it's that part's for the kids. I kind of, I wonder if you'll go down the rabbit hole with me a little bit. 
Because this movie is otherwise like a pretty traditional, pretty boring retelling of The Christmas Carol. But it just happens like the, the, the only like gimmick to it of the story is the fact that half of the roles or so are played by Muppets. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to look at the the age-old question that I was dealing with when watching this movie, which is, what the fuck is a Muppet? <laughs> um, so if you look at Muppets, I, I'm try, I was trying to understand like what a Muppet is. Yeah. I, so I broke the whole thing down, the, the taxonomy, if you will, of a Muppet. Great. And so I believe that humans and Muppets share the same domain. London we, in this case. Well, I mean like the taxonomic domain. But, and I thought for a while that we shared the same sort of like animal kingdom but we don't. If you really break down the movie, there is this like parallel existence that exists in this world where you have like people and normal people things, right? You have Michael Caine playing Ebenezer Scrooge and like a smattering of other humans doing human things in Victorian England, right? Right. Yeah. But then you have this other like completely different culture of beings. Mm-hmm. These Muppets who are not only so a Muppet himself is it's not just like the Kermit the Frog who is a personified animal. There's also like people Muppets and there's also yeah. Muppets that are not sentient. There are like animals that just exist like in our world too, but that are also like non-sentient, but like done in Muppet style. Yeah. And there is also sentient Muppet food <laughs> and uh-huh. sentient like sort of basic elements. There is a snowman who is a sentient Muppet, which is just Mm -hmm. water. So, (laughs) but also a sentient thing that like participates in this world. Uh So what is a Muppet? Like what is a, what I don't, I I certainly didn't think about it as much as you just did. So, but what impact does that have on the movie for like the watching experience for you? Well, I really have no basis for compare. Like I have no like, I was not one of these people. Like I watched the Muppet show when it was on when I was a kid briefly, sure. but like I wasn't one of these people. Like I dated this girl in high school who was obsessed with like Muppet Christmas. Sure. And I Some think if you are. have, if you have like this childhood thing that brought you to the Muppets and then you watch it now in your twenties or thirties and you're like, huh, this is like a warm holiday feeling I get. Cause it reminds me of when I was a kid watching this movie fine, you can probably get a lot of enjoyment out of this thing. But if you're going in pretty cold as I was, it's just like, it, I don't get like what the Muppet brand is. Like, I don't get the Muppet interpretation of it. What? Like, I don't get what <laughs> the Muppets are. I'm not sure what you're referring are. to because like I couldn't, like I also was not like a Muppet obsessed child, but I think that sort of, you know, cinematically as as figures and faces on the screen, I I'm unable to look away from them, especially the ghost of Christmas present in this movie, which is hard like this, to look at. I couldn't look away. I was both like befuddled and like amazed. Yeah, they're pretty scary, I think, for like a kid. Well, especially yeah, that weird what's... like non-Muppet like ghost of Christmas past, which the, is just, like, I... that disembodied head with like the glowing. 
and I do love the opening sequence of this movie where like the camera sort of it goes through the streets of this London set and pretends that this is the hustle and bustle of like a real marketplace. Right. Um, just like doing tracking shots, the opening scene of Boogie Nights in London around puppets. It was really impressive. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I get like it's so it's sort of like a space jam, if you will, for Dickens. Mm-hmm. So you take like this popular <laughs> brand of thing and you apply it to something that's understood. Yeah. Like basketball. But this one, it's like, but I don't get like, l- like the tiny tunes, like I get. And like the Warner brothers cartoons, like I understand that as a brand and I understand what they are. They're cartoons, but the Muppets are like, s- what? It's like a, con- it's like a state of being like you are a Muppet. Yeah. Like, you yeah. can be a piece of fruit, you can be a snowman, or you can be just, like, two old guys, you know, sort of bickering amongst themselves right. and heckling the forward motion of the... But, like, you're then, f- like, a Muppet. You're furry. And you're, like, a puppet. I think you might have outthought yourself, buddy. I don't think so. But, but so come to what the I'm next thing. What I'm saying is I'm uncomfortable with Muppets. That, I don't okay, like, like what I, I don't like what they... Say. I don't like what they are. It's not like they're not like X-Men where they're like better than humans and humans acknowledge. No one acknowledges that they're Muppets. <laughs> yeah. It's... Like in Space Jam, they acknowledge the fact that it's weird that there are people intermixed with cartoons. Yeah. But this one does not acknowledge its own. It's not self-aware. It is in some moments, but it's not self-aware that like the Muppets are part of the drama. I don't know, man. I, I, I liked it. I found myself in different ways, like when Statler and Waldorf come being the two, like the, I think they split Marley in half or just say that Marley has right. a brother who also comes to Scrooge and sing their little song. I was sort of shocked by like, if I like, I felt like if I turned my head at the right angle or looked at it in a different light, it was both like sort of scary and at the same time, like kind of comical for adults. And I feel like there were like some good w- well, I was impressed that Michael Caine himself did not really like wink at the audience. Like he played this very, very straight Scrooge. Yeah, it's an interesting time for Caine. It's a Caine between like serious acting Caine and like Austin Powers and Goldmember Caine. Well before Nolan Caine. Oh um, yeah. Other than the Muppets troubling you, what were you? Well, that's the else? thing. If you if you're just not fundamentally entertained by the Muppets as an institution. There is nothing interesting about this movie, I would say. Okay. So you're like, truly... I mean, these movies, all three movies, ca- like, specifically, you need to care about, like, one thing about them. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, you either care about the Muppets doing, uh, like, a Christmas Carol, you care about Bill Murray doing Christmas Carol, or you care about Nicolas Cage. I mean, like, it hangs sure. in. They sure. all have, like, a one trick. Mm-hmm. And if you buy in, it's like, this is great. This is a fine holiday film. Um, but if you don't, they seem pretty dumb and so the boring. One, so the one trick here did not do it for you? Just because I, I fundamentally like have a political problem with Muppets. <laughs> You've talked yourself to I that have point, an aesthetic, huh? I have like an aesthetic grievance uh-huh. with just like the Muppet thing. It's not the same thing. as a political problem, but okay. <laughs> Um, I mean, if it came to a vote, I would vote against Muppets. <laughs> if, if Muppets it was were a political like, problem, it if would I lived be. in a world where like Muppets were just around, I would be horribly racist towards them. 
that sounds like the movie you're, you yourself wanted to watch. Exactly. And I was <laughs> never convinced. I was never convinced otherwise because, frankly, the Muppets themselves, they I feel like they have it coming. They're, wow. they're just kind of dumb. Like, their humor they're is kind of dumb. Creatures. No. What about... What about when uh, the rat was just like, is this too scary for kids? And uh, Dickens was like, oh, now it's culture. They'll be fine. Like, there's some there's some good stuff there. There's some good one-liners. I mean, the other thing I would say about, like, A Christmas Carol in general is it's such a, it's such a low bar for character transformation. You know, because all these movies, these movies just, like, bend to the power of Christmas and Christmas being like a symbol really only for like philanthropy and decency. Like you don't, we don't have to like watch Scrooge prove it on Monday morning, December the 26th. Um, so like you just have to embrace Christmas. And I think that like this movie is so close to the original that like the idea that him going from saying it's harvest time for money lenders to bringing a Turkey to his poor assistant, is like good enough for me, man. I don't think this is like a revolutionary movie, but I'm probably gonna say it's good, good. I think this movie's boring. I think that um, the Muppets are stupid, wow. and I think at wow. best, at best, this movie is like an interesting cultural artifact from how like weird we are as a culture. I think the Muppets are stupid. Is there anything else unpopular you want to go after? Like maybe like Tom Hanks or Barack Obama? Listen. Yeah. You don't have to come with me, but I think I'm, I'm entitled. I think I'm entitled to my opinion that the Muppets are, are dumb. Well, the Muppets are stupid is something that someone says right before they get visited by three ghosts. So maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we move on. I, I wish yeah. you the best, Noah. I, I wish this upon myself, it seems. <laughs> or I brought this upon myself. As Don Sheetle will tell me later this evening. That's right. Um, I think we got to say Family Man for last, right? So Scrooge next? Yo, Family Man, that's the that's the coup de grace. Right. That could be that's a whole the raison d'etre, if you will. That's the reason we've come tonight. Great. Um, so Scrooge, 1988. Uh, this reimagining of a christmas carol uh posits that bill murray is the president of a fake network tv network called ibc uh i supposedly in the late 80s um and he is a real greedy money obsessed bastard like the scrooge character always sort of is but in this one his badness is is proved to you by watching him uh kind of chew out his his staff about the holiday programming and then sort of the classic uh, supposedly this network every year runs like a, a live theatrical version of a Christmas Carol um, that he has this very antagonistic relationship with. And he basically does a promo for it. That's uh, like that uh, anti Barry Goldwater ad from the 60s. <laughs> like Barry Goldwater will kill us all. Like watch this uh, live Christmas Carol thing. Yeah. Um, and he's a real bastard. It's giving Bill Murray like an anti hero. Yeah. But <sighs> But even early on, you sort of know this movie's going to be rough. Seven o'clock, Psycho sees Santa's workshop, and only Lee Majors can stop them. In the night, the reindeer die. Be here. 
Well, you can't show that commercial. That thing looked like the, the Manson family Christmas special. Think I'm way off base? Yes, you're, well, you're a tad off base, sir. Frank Cross is more than the youngest network president in television history. Call security, have them change his locks and toss him out of the building. Oh, he's fired? It's Christmas. Thank you. Call the county, stop his bonus. Yeah, well, so I wanted to ask you then a question about, to get us started, Bill Murray's comedic presence. Is Bill Murray the sort of on-screen comedic presence who can, to use a, to borrow a basketball terminology, get his own shot? Like Chris Farley or Jim Carrey, can he just be on-screen going wild, right. or does Bill Murray need other people? Right, and I feel like Bill Murray, maybe, in, I mean, at this point in his career, does not have that, like, Steve Zissou performance in him yet, or that Lost in Translation right, right, right. performance in him yet. So this movie is still like in the same key as like, um, I mean, it feels like it's in the same key as Groundhog Day. Sure, sure. And Caddyshack and Ghostbusters, like he's kind of a right. madman. He's a madman and kind of a dick, but ultimately you love him. But this movie, because the ter- like the things it gives him to do are so like kind of heinous yeah it's like you give him like a much shorter like rope there's like a lot of things where he's like um sort of exploiting like the dancers in this theatrical christmas special they're shooting to like like show their breasts and there's like this point where his assistant's kid is there who's like doing the tiny tim substitute who like can't speak and he's like going to beat this mute child that he doesn't know who's just on set like there's no reason to make the scrooge character that bad especially if the movie doesn't have the heart to redeem him which i don't think this movie does because that's what i think you like the ultimately these movies hang in the idea of like do you see a legitimate change in the person that needs to fundamentally change by the end of this movie yeah and so he goes from being like utterly insane from the first frame to right. just like more insane, but right. like more insane incidentally for good. Yeah. The Scrooge has to play straight against these like fantastical things. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in this one, it's almost, they think it's the opposite. They think that the fantastical things aren't that interesting. So they don't do much with them. And then it just hangs in like Bill Murray repeating lines that aren't very funny. So this movie, it almost felt like, well, where's the character that we care about? Like, is it Bobcat Goldthwaite? <laughs> like, is that the... So that's the Not funny... for me. It wasn't Karen Allen either. It wasn't Robert Mitchum so yeah, either. That's, we should say more about the plot. So Karen yeah. Allen plays, like, the love interest that who's, like, heartbreak from basically was the, like, the final nail in the coffin that he would go, like, full dick. Like, yeah. full Ebenezer Scrooge. Right. And then I guess his... So the, my question was, is his Cratchit, is it his... Um, I think it's Alfred Woodard playing his assistant. Bobcat Goldthwaite. Easy for I, me to say. I don't think it's Bobcat Goldthwaite. I think it's Alfred Woodard playing his assistant. Because she's you got the family. It, she's the parent of the tiny Then what role does, like, the, does Bobcat play? I don't know. New York in the 80s, like people at their wits end. Right, because he's sort of like a, a cross between Michael Douglas and um, what's that horrible movie where he like goes on that shooting spree? Oh, Joel know. Schumacher film. I don't know. It's falling down. Okay. And something like a like the guy from Network. Sure, sure. This movie's like the Network does, 
but I just don't like its sense of humor. No, and I think well, it's interesting you bring up Network because I think the. <sighs> This movie has moments of cleverness and it has a clever idea, especially when it goes back to shows the ghost of Christmas past and you see Bill Murray as a child in the fifties in this sort of like very, Oh God, just emotionally like either abusive or blank, uh, like Levittown sort of home, um, right. the father doesn't care. And the only thing he can find solace in is the network TV of the fifties. And that's like what leads him to become detached from the world. And, uh, caring only about television or so is implied but right. the movie doesn't like follow up on that or pull that off or tell you that he particularly like likes television or that is the true way he connects with people and god knows like that probably would have been something that you and I would have gone in for um, so yeah right. it's, it's clever <laughs> but it's cleverness is thing. totally misplaced I think it it is the way the like family man is not it's too limited almost by the Dickens that causes it to have these like weird sort of Fisher King moments mm-hmm. and that it doesn't, it doesn't or like bon, like bonfire, the vanities moments that it doesn't sure. really earn. And I feel like it's closer to Muppets than it is to, this is just Bill Murray doing a Christmas Carol with a Christmas Carol on TV in the background. Yeah. Cause like you yeah. not only go through the plot of a Christmas Carol, it also features a, like a movie within a movie of them doing a production of a Christmas Carol with uh, Buddy Hackett <laughs> as the uh, as the Scrooge, which yep. is funny. I don't. I think it's it's at times too safe for me, and it's at other times just kind of annoying. Yeah. Um. It's gonna be a bad bad for me. I think this movie easily could have been a fourth entrant into our. Uh, Christ the Lude podcast from last year and even those movies as crazy as they got they all have to bend to the reverence of the Christmas spirit and this movie is too self-aware too ahead of its own adaptation to uh, prove that his rotten heart was worth saving so didn't work because that's the thing Um, yeah it doesn't it it doesn't make you feel that climactic moment where he's just like losing his shit on the air no like in i didn't fact, care he's burning alive right in the when in the vision of ghost of christmas future like his body's being cremated and right. he goes immediately he wakes up from the hallucination and immediately starts showboating there's right. no moment of like oh my god like i get my chance now right he doesn't have that those this movie does it doesn't seem concerned with the transitions between like the fake worlds, the vision worlds, the glimpse worlds, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the actual world. Like yeah, like you said, like he sees himself burned up, and then the, it's like a quick like instant cut of him back in the studio, and he like just walks on the stage and fucks everything up. Right. Like he never has his like uh, you know look towards the heavens, like what does it all mean moment. It's Christmas. Yeah, he never does that. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I think I'm going to follow you and say that it is also a bad, mm-hmm. bad. Two bad bads from old Noah so far. Um, let's do get out over 2000s. The Family Man. Do you oh my bring us god! Into this one. How many times have you seen this movie? Uh, an unconscionable amount of times. <laughs> I've seen this movie like I would say between 15 and 20 times. 
So, That's like, I'm pretty so familiar with the ins and outs. Times. Well, I, never... I could be a family man scholar if you, like, uh-huh. wanted me to be. You were, like, making, we were, you were texting me when you were watching this, and you're making, like, vague allusions to scenes, and I, like, I knew exactly where you were. Oh, you absolutely did. That's cool. Girl. I was counting on it. It's the first time I've seen this movie. Oh, that's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so interested to hear, like, what a first timer <laughs> has to say about a very, like... It's a very odd movie. Oh, it's extremely odd. So this one gives you a lot less of the Dickens stuff, but it basically functions in the same role and uses the same gimmick. It's the most remixed of our remixes. Right. So what you have here is you have an opening prologue where Nicolas Cage, um, a recent college grad at the ripe young age of 40... (laughs) despite his ill-fitting sweater and, like, tossed hair, yeah. um, talking to Taya Leone at the airport, and he's like, I gotta go to Barclays Bank. I gotta do this internship. <laughs> and she's like, no, if you go away for a year, like, we'll never be together. And he's like, it would take a thousand years for uh, me to fall out of love with you. Let's go! <laughs> and... <laughs> Sorry, my I don't have a very good cage. You have a great cage, though. But you oh, well, asked me to do the intro, so... <laughs> we'll see if we get to me. Keep going. You're doing great. And so, like, he gets on the plane and goes to London to go to this internship, and Taylioni's there crying because, like, her college boyfriend left or whatever. Yeah. And then we cut to 13 years later, and Taylioni and Nicolas Cage have broken up, and he has not even... Th- it doesn't appear that he's even thought... He doesn't even think about her, really. And he's gone on to be, like, a very successful uh, Wall Street guy, and he's Mm -hmm. brokering this, like, big merger. He's in mergers and acquisitions, and he's, like, this cold, heartless bastard who, like, takes beautiful women to bed and, like, drives a Ferrari and has all the suits in the world and lives in a wonderful apartment in New York. And he seems to have, like, a pretty – I mean, he seems pretty fulfilled. It's true. He is not – He seems happy. Yes, this is I think important he, because he's our Scrooge. He's not necessarily like a bad person. No, his lifestyle has just sort of like necessitated all of these things. Right, right, right. His lifestyle is crazy, pretty, but he's not evil. Right, he's not necessarily evil. Like what he does, like may not be the most like morally repre- or morally responsible way to live one's life. Like he right. should probably like. But we don't know that he doesn't give a lot of money to charity. We don't know like what he's doing. But, like, his real affronts in the opening scenes are the fact that, like, his coworkers are trying to get to the holidays because it's Christmas Eve and he's, like, trying to put the final touches on this merger. That's but It's worth, like, billions of dollars. Like, this is one of the biggest, the biggest mergers that would, like, ever take place. And for some reason you have, like, Saul Rubinick just, like, sitting at the conference table, like, painting these little dolls. And he's like, <laughs> I don't want to make $125 billion. Like, I want to go and, like, hang out with my kids. And... You feel like, okay, maybe Nicolas Cage like could be doing more. Maybe he could be the titular family man. <laughs> and so uh. then we, we are in a convenience store on Christmas Eve. Don Sheetle comes in and is trying to cash in this lottery ticket. And sort of a, a racial dynamic uh, presents itself between the Asian uh, bodega owners and... Don Sheetle, who is trying to maybe pull off a like pull a scam with the lottery ticket or something, mm-hmm. and Nicolas Cage uh, like intervenes, saving probably all these people's lives, and offers him some money for the ticket and like don't worry about it. 
And for some reason, this leads them to like a weird like friendship. Like, hey, you just held up this bodega. You want to go like hang out for a little while? <laughs> and they like walk a little bit. Yeah. And he and Don Sheetle says some like weird sort of calculating but vague things about like giving him like maybe like maybe he's not as happy as he could be and right. he deserves whatever's coming to him. Mm-hmm. And so Nicholas Cage thinks nothing of this, goes home, falls asleep and wakes up in this parallel universe where he had not broken up with Taya Leone, but instead married her and like had kids and like his career went in a completely different direction. And he has like this very like, suburban middle-class life that seems to be also like a very happy existence just by, but by like a completely different set of values. That's his, uh, that's the Christmas Carol alternate reality he gets. Although that is the only one he gets and it goes on for a while. This is where where sort of it, this one does not follow the same structure necessarily. No, this movie takes place mostly in one of the glimpses. Jack Campbell thought he had everything. Merry Christmas. I'm giving everything I've got to this deal. You're a credit to capitalism, Jack. Then one day, his past caught up to him. Kate Reynolds. She was my girlfriend in college. I almost married her. But instead, you left her. I took the road less traveled. And fate. What? Him? Me. Gave him a glimpse. What do you need, Jack? I got everything I need. Yeah? You just remember that. You brought this on yourself. At what his life could have been. One of the strange things about this movie, and there are several, is that... (laughs) Myriad weird things. (laughs) Is that it would make a lot of sense for the person playing the high-powered executive to be a Hugh Grant type. So that when they go to the alternate middle class reality, that person is playing against type. They seem like a fish out of water. Nicolas Cage, of course, is neither of these types. (laughs) He is neither the suburban type nor the white collar wealthy type. He is just Nicolas Cage. Yeah, he's neither like Michael Douglas nor is he Hugh Grant. Perfect. Um, And so I was asking myself, like, what am I invested in here? Because I'm it's it's not that I think that like this man I'm used to seeing in a certain context could possibly learn to love this other context. It's like trying to watch it's like watching a man just try to find a home. A, a crazy man try to find like a place to rest his head in like an existential sense. And that place well, is with Taylioni ultimately. Well, that's like the weird arc of the movie because most of it is him like hating the fact that he's not in his previous life he's like gonna like vomit because he sees clothes from walmart there right there's literally a scene where he opens his closet (laughs) surveys his suburban clothes and goes oh this is just subpar (laughs) like it's an incredible scene and like he doesn't really like the kids that he's ostensibly fathered so but cages okay so he goes Oh, you have to you must get in the cage to appreciate this movie. <laughs> he goes from 
Can we talk about how Nicholas... Well, okay, well, let's just recount our text conversation yesterday. <laughs> I think I said, because Nicholas Cage spends quite a few of the first 15 minutes only in tight black briefs, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I texted you and I was like, Nicholas Cage would think, would think that he needs to get ripped for the family man. He would treat this like his raging bull. And you texted me back... Uh, I mean, I think this may be his raging ball. <laughs> well, if you think about just how many places this movie requires Nicolas Cage to go emotionally. So he goes from the top of the world, rich, handsome, like everything he would want, businessman. And then he is poor. Like, that's what he's dealing with at first, is that yeah. he's poor. Yeah. And he hates looking poor. <laughs> and he hates, like, everything about poverty, like, especially looking poor. Right. And Relative poverty. Then he, like, tries to... I mean, that's what initially frightens him. Yeah. And then he has to, like, go back to his... what he considers his real life, and nobody remembers him in, I think, one of the best, like, sequences ever with the... You have him go, why do I feel like I have to remind you I'm Jack Campbell, president of the company? And then he, like, does that point, and it's, like, the Jaws zoom in on his yeah. name, and it's, like, <laughs> it's the other guy's the president. President! Uh, it's oh, my so... God. And then so he has to deal with the fact that he has no allies in this new condition he's in. Mm-hmm. And then go home and is so defeated and, like, so beaten down by the idea, like, not only he lost his life but he's also like ruined the Christmas of this perfectly idyllic family yeah so he's just like standing there in the kitchen with that like bicycle bell that like that's a, one, a thing I want to talk about is the bicycle bell we have to talk about the bicycle bell uh, my but he has this one- bicycle bell and then his daughter like takes the bell and goes thanks dad and he just stands there just like she took my bell yeah, <laughs> yeah Cage um, has like so this is one of the first movies I think made by his production company um, or in part by his production company. He gives himself a lot of real estate. There oh, are like yeah. moments where like the camera turns back to him and he just kind of like eyebrow acts for a couple seconds. And like, <laughs> I knew Brett Ratner directed it, but like any director with a real creative vision would have been like, no, 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 no. Say the line <laughs> when the camera cuts back to you. <laughs> the ta-da is incredible. Oh my God. The Tada um, heard round the world. My favorite is when he is Don Cheadle. He's just gone back to his place of work and found out they don't know who he is because it's the other reality. Don Cheadle picks him up in his Ferrari and Nicolas Cage is like, why don't you just tell me what's going on? Like, why don't you cool it with all the mumbo jumbo? <laughs> like, Please just tell me what's happening to me in plain English with, without the mumbo jumbo. Nick Cage like really wants this to be like a great movie, but he has no respect for the script whatsoever. Yeah. And I feel like all the other characters like talk very similarly. And because they, I mean, the script is clever. I would say like clever. I wouldn't say smart. I would say clever. Yeah. It's going to get the job done. Right, but Nicolas Cage has no respect for any... Like, there's no way the word subpar was, like, in that <laughs> script. There's no way mumbo-jumbo... There's no way it said, say the last part, Cockney. Right. Mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's... To- in fact, I was watching, before we called, I was looking at bloopers from 
this movie, which are apparently on YouTube. And it looks to me like Nick Cage is like in creative control of the set. There's the part where Jeremy Piven plays his friend in the Jersey universe. And he's just like, so why did you come here? Are you having problems with Kate? And he goes, Kate's my wife. (laughs) And in the bloopers, he's laughing at how ridiculous his delivery is over and over again. So to take this like very simple, like almost novelty holiday movie and then have him just like go wild on it is crazy. And then, of course, we should get to this. The movie has bigger ambitions than just being this Christmas movie. So Christmas in this movie just happens. Like Christmas Day like happens. Well, this, yeah, this movie sort of, well, like you were saying earlier, with the question of well, what happens on December 26th is never addressed. This movie sort of asked that question. That's true. What makes A Christmas Carol so sort of like easy to digest is that like Christmas is just like a fulcrum or like a symptom of the character change. Like all you have to do is embrace Christmas and you're good because like that's the bar you have to clear. This movie asks like at the age of what are they 22, 23 when he gets on that flight? Right. Um, Or maybe a little bit, maybe they just finished grad school. It's tough to say. He certainly looks older, but I think the movies, well, he looks like he just finished his doctorate after 15 years. (laughs) Right. Um, But the Nicholas Cage, again, like we said, he's not a bad person, but like, completely different value systems not just in like i'm like more of a class snob here but like i don't care about people in this universe and in the other one like he seems to be able to get along he's the most popular guy in the suburb it seems like he's jack jack and kate well that's like the interesting thing i i think about this movie that i don't understand about it is that this movie posits for him two lives in which he is like the best He's the best either at being a suburban dad or a best the best at being this Wall Street guy. True. There's never it's not that his life sucks now and he's alone. I mean he is, but he doesn't like unlike Scrooge, he doesn't seem like unhappy and he's doing no real harm. Mm-hmm. Whereas so that's the thing that sort of I question about the movie is that like either existence for Cage as a well for the the Jack Campbell character, it's the same it's the same level of happiness. That's true. That's true. But what I can't reconcile is that like the characters like seem psychologically different or like, so, or so they're put to me, but then cage himself is just cage the whole time. Like he never convinces me that like he never becomes Jersey Jack Campbell. See, I think he does. I know. Because you never see him like be the best tire salesman. I think he or becomes the best, like the best guy in the neighborhood or the best bowler. You see him try to. But that's will not the. That. That's not the thing he's emulating. He's not emulating the actual person. He's emulating what he's like seen on those videotapes. I think he's just made peace with it, and he's decided if I act like this, I can have the same amount of happiness just from other means and not money. Because that's what these movies come down to, right? It's about money. It's about capitalism versus sort of a socialism like conscientious capitalism versus heartless capitalism right yeah um yeah but i think the fundamental thing is the ghost of christmas past for scrooge always shows you like the track that created this man and it's really too bad because he was always a lonely person and he never really did have a shot to like relate to people and i don't i think it's 
there's it's a bridge too far between like these two jacks for me. Interesting. Yeah. I just I think I can reconcile it by saying that if you understand like if you really sort of boil down the Jack Campbell character, his only thing is just being the best at everything. And as long as he's the best, it's something he's otherwise content. So it doesn't surprise me that he like tried to be the best at giving anniversary gifts every year or be the mm-hmm. best at this bowling league. Like whatever's thrown at him, he will just be the best at it. And he, if he can find that sort of happiness and that he has a family, maybe that makes him marginally happier or maybe it's parallel. I don't I'm not convinced either way on that, which mm-hmm. I think is a weird commentary the movie makes or doesn't make. Um, but I think I buy it that it's the same guy. So good, good from you, person who's seen this 20 times? It's certainly something. It's. <laughs> I can tell I, you, I mean, if, you, if it makes it any easier, I can tell you that I found it was entertaining and ambitious, but tried to do too much for being the director of X-Men The Last Stand and Nick Cage, like trying to turn a novelty movie into like sliding doors. I think it's bad good. I think it's a soft good good from me. Okay. I think that Cage does something pretty, I mean, it's certainly entertaining and I never, I didn't have any like major problems with the movie other than like maybe that question and the idea of the bell, like Don Cheadle. Oh, that's the big one is that when he goes into the world, the bell is the thing that he's supposed to ring to like summon Don Cheadle. But they never, they never specify that though. That seemed heavily implied to me. See, he goes, if I ring it, will you come? And Don Cheadle doesn't answer him. And then he rings it later in the house when they get home. And that's why the girl drives in on her bike and takes the bell. And then we never see the bell again until the end where she rings it. Maybe that's like, that's when you know the the turkey's cooked is the bell. Yeah. When you hear this bell again, the glimpse will be over. That's a very charitable thought in this Christmas season. Yeah. I try to be. So good, good for me. Good, good. All right, all right. Um, man, well, our second holiday episode in the books. Certainly, listeners. Happy Christmas, happy holiday season to to you and yours. Thank you for being with us. You know, if your family's annoying you, got some downtime during the holidays. BeRealGuys.com is the place to catch up on all past episodes. Listen on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Catch up with us on Facebook and Twitter. We're very easy to find. The name of the show is Be Real Guys. Real with two E's like a film reel. Uh, yes. Thank you to all of you for being with us. And uh, go see some good movies this December. Uh, Noah and I are uh, planning to head that way. Uh, we should be back with something topical next week. That sounds great. Happy Hanukkah uh, for me to everyone out there. Uh, we'll see you. See you very soon. Cheers. When a cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. But there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone. It paints you with indifference like a lady paints with rouge. And the worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed, is the one that we call Scrooge. Um.